Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. On Sunday, August 14th, we kick-started a new series coinciding with the beginning of school called Crash Course that will go along with our Wednesday night book study on Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible? Maybe the Bible has been a mystery to you your entire life. Maybe you don't feel like you know enough to really understand it. Maybe you disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament or have no idea how Jesus connects to Adam and Eve. Maybe you've never read it. Maybe you've had the Bible used against you because of your gender or your sexuality or your race or your ethnicity. First, as a pastor and someone who really didn't come to love scripture until I was in seminary, I'm sorry if it's ever been used against you or used to express anything else than how much God loves you. In our children's moment during worship on August 14th, we talked about how there are 66 books in the Bible, many chapters within those and many verses within those, but there is one main thing that the Bible teaches us, and it was a song that we've known our entire lives. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Here is crash course number four. What are the Gospels? We're in our our fourth week of crash course, where we have been talking about Scripture, not just a Scripture, but the Scripture, the Bible, what we call our canon, our library of 66 books, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. I, I want to share something that was said in this past Wednesday night's book study because I think it's so profound. Um, I think, especially as adults, when we come back to things that we've learned as children or, or learned through our entire lives, our instinct is to protect it. Because heaven forbid we change our minds or we think we might have been wrong. So I want to share this quote, uh, and I won't say who said it, but it, I've, I've just dwelt on it this week. Someone was talking about uh, before this study, as we were talking about this, this sermon series and the book study, uh, the fear of building an entire life upon learning and understanding their faith and their scriptures in one way. And there's this fear coming to them and thinking, what if I have to change? But they said on Wednesday, they said, you know, I think I'm going to be okay. If you've had any fear in the renewing of your mind and spirit, of changing your mind, of that metamorphosis that sometimes faith can lead to, you're going to be okay.
Today, we get to talk about the Gospels. This is, you know, last week we talked about how the prophets are about a quarter of our scripture. If they were a large part of our scripture, the Gospels, by numbers, are four books in a 66-book canon. But they are the lens with which we read all of Scripture. Because these four Gospels tell us about the teachings of Jesus. Each one is a little bit different. Each one provides a little bit different lens to how to understand the teachings of Jesus. But we're going to talk about today the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. You you may know in our canon we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. And a lot of times what's easiest for us to do when we look especially at stories in the Old Testament, it's easy for us to say that was one God and then God changed and now we have the New Testament and this is a new God. But that is actually a heresy, you heretics. The same God who created order out of chaos on that first morning in the creation poetry is the same God who was with us at the end of Revelation and the same God who still dwells in and among us today. The same God from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega. But as Rob Bell put it, if you're looking to start a new religion, it doesn't really do you a lot of good to have four people tell it in different ways. (laughs) Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had a different way of depicting the good news, that euangelion we talked earlier about. And it may help you to know that each of these writers, these evangelists, as you may may have heard them called before, they each had a unique audience that they were writing to. They had a unique audience. Um, For example, these words are from Rob Bell. And Stu, I think my clicker has gone dead. If you could advance these for me, that would be wonderful. Matthew believes that Jesus is the son of David we've been waiting for. And he's writing to tell us why. Because Matthew had his Jewish tribe in mind. Remember going all the way back to the Torah, there were certain family units we might call tribes. Um, Matthew had in mind those people who were looking uh, for, for the fulfillment of the tribe of David. Or you may know Luke. Luke is writing from, for a much broader audience, Jesus being the son of all humanity. Now that had weight in Luke's world. 
There are two gospels that give us the genealogy of Jesus, but they do it in slightly different ways. Luke's gospel actually traces Jesus's genealogy through Mary, his mother, which is kind of weird for the day because usually, you know, when you're living in a patriarchal society, you want to trace through the men's blood, but uh, they trace it through uh, Mary's, Mary's line. Um, Luke's genealogy traces it all the way back to Adam, the creation of the world, all of humankind, not just for that tribe, all of humankind was being fulfilled in Jesus. There's this fancy word called the synoptics or the synoptic gospel it sounds scary, but it's a word that, that basically means seen through the same eyes. You may have noticed, and I actually have an example for you, you may have noticed that there's some overlap. If you've ever read scripture, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you may have noticed that there's some overlap in some of the stories. There is actually a way that scholars study this. This is a book I keep in my office. Uh, it's called the Synopsis of the Four Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels is what you may hear them called. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have parallel text. And if you were to open this, you would see, here's a story that I just opened to, uh, the 5,000 are fed. You'll see side by side what it says in Matthew, what it says in Mark, which is a little bit different. What it says in Luke, which is still a little bit different. And this, ironically, this also has John, even though we don't consider John a synoptic gospel. We'll talk about that in a second. So anytime you're feeling bored and you want to come and see the side-by-side -side comparisons, but remember, each gospel writer was speaking to a specific audience. And that can account for some of the differences that we see in the gospel texts. Now, to give you a little bit more nerdy history, there are some hypotheses for how all four gospels came to be. One of those is that there is a Q source involved. Q is not in the Bible. Um, we've actually never seen, we believe, a copy of what Q is. But what we know, or what we think, was that there was some kind of document that was passed around that contained the teachings of Jesus. Not the birth, not the death and resurrection, but the teachings of Jesus that some scholars will refer to as the Q source. Now, some scholars think this is a load of malarkey, okay? But some will uh, reference the Q source, it is very similar to a lot of what we see in Mark. So some believe Q source and Mark had some kind of relationship. And then from those two, there are stories and there are words in both Matthew and Luke. And because they are all kind of related in how they're written, um, we call these the synoptic gospels. There may have been a document that was passed around among them, but uh, the, one of the, one of the uh, glitches of this was that in the Q teachings, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had identical Greek writings. 
makes sense. However, we know that Jesus did not speak Greek. What did Jesus speak, anyone? Aramaic. English was close. That's also a vowel. Uh, So Jesus spoke Aramaic. So imagine, Jesus is speaking Aramaic. We then have these identical Greek translations. If you've done any language studies, you know that to get from one language to another, if you had three people translate it, you're probably going to get three different translations. So there's the hypothesis that uh, the Q source was written in Greek and may not have actually been written um, by, by those directly around Jesus, though the translations are identical in Greek. There's also, uh, you know, we could go through all these diagrams all day. There's also the four source model. Uh, There's a lot of ways that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could have come to be. But the gospel of John is that strange one. It is not a synoptic gospel, even though it contains some similar stories as the other three gospels. It's not the exact wording and language In the Gospel of John, you'll find things that are considered more mystical or spiritual. You'll remember that beautiful prologue at the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and and was with God in the beginning. Beautiful poetry. Um, But a lot of what what John does is John fills in a little bit more. Theologically, John will tell you what happened and then kind of fill in uh, some of John's opinions about what happened. So imagine you are learning about Jesus from a writer who probably originally put it in Aramaic that was then translated to Greek, that was then passed around, that was then translated into English that you are now interpreting. And still, I know this is Old Testament but still we get worried if it was a whale or a big fish. I feel like a way to understand the humility that we have to have before Scripture can only really be explained by the great British bake-off. Now, this is the original cast. They have changed host since then. If you have never watched this before, it is a show that originally uh, was in Great Britain. It went on to BBC. It was then picked up by Netflix a few years ago. And we all know how terrible we are at baking now. (laughs) But these are uh, the middle two folks are the judges, uh, Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry. What names for judges, right? Um, The outside two gals are the hosts. Those hosts have changed. But my favorite thing when watching the Great British Bake Off that I get a kick out of every single time, you can watch any episode and you can watch it happen. The person who gets eliminated, they always do like, you know, the post-show interview with with the one who was eliminated. Do you know how nice these people are when they get eliminated? 
They were just told that their showstopper dessert that they spent six to eight hours on. I mean, you know, they're, they're, I, I don't even know. They were just told it was garbage. And they are standing there in front of the camera. They are so happy to have been part of the show, to have learned from the, I wish my fellow contestants the best. It's not like the fake American Idol stuff. It is genuine kindness for everyone else on the show. Now, I know they probably go home and write in their diaries. I don't know. But they are the most gracious losers you can imagine. The thing is, we can spend a whole lot of time talking about what we don't know about the Gospels. Actually, we can talk more about what we don't know in the Gospels than what we for sure know. Because again, we have four different accounts, and we have to decide which one we're actually going to believe. But we are reading through multiple translations, through thousands of years, four pictures of Jesus, through four men and more, who are trying to put together this accurate and faithful depiction of who Jesus was in that time, but also who Jesus was to them. They want to put together who they want the world to know Jesus to be. And still... We know we have to be gracious losers. Knowing that we are trying to understand this man with some degrees of separation. Each Wednesday night together, as we do the book study, we use a prayer for illumination. A prayer that the scripture may be made clear to us, true to us that we may understand it in new ways, that it may be a light into our path. We come at Scripture with a humility. But here is what we can say we do know. From the early stories of the Torah, describing how people began to understand a God who loves rather than a God who plots against them from the stories of prophets where a God sent messengers to broken and hurt people and asked them to imagine a God that didn't function like a king or monarch, but as one who enacted justice and equality and equity and jubilee, a God whose movement in the world was love, a God who favored love so much that a God could have used a flood or a hurricane or a famine or a meteor strike or an apocalypse or raining fire on earth to clear off the earth on its axis. But what God came as, my favorite, uh, Audrey Assad says, God came like a winter snow to us. God came as a human being, emptying God's self to flesh and blood, to bone and marrow. God would attempt to explain this divine love to people's hearts who had been hardened and their arms crossed, believing that their way was the only way, protecting their way. All four Gospels, all four Gospels tell us about the words that God came to earth to tell us by looking into our eyeballs, by touching our hands, by healing our bodies. 
by putting aside judgment for love and pushing aside how those who thought they knew everything were humbled because they were shown a different way. They were shown a different God than they ever knew. And by way of Christ, the God incarnate, the holy being that turned chaos into order, that parted seas, that changed the hearts of those Ninevites, that God was no longer on papyrus, but was standing right in front of them. The Gospels don't start the same way. They don't end the same way. Not a single one of them. But they tell about a time in between the birth and the death of Jesus that we still have a whole lot more to learn about, to understand, to wonder about, to proclaim, to believe is good news. Euangelion. Here's the thing, the gospel, friends, it is always good news. It is not good if it's not the gospel. It is not, if it's not good news for all of humanity, it's not good news. If it's limited to a chosen few, it is not the gospel. If it is based on a checklist or character traits, it is not the gospel. And if, it's, if it is based on what you earned, it is not the gospel. And if it's, if it's based on age, gender, sexuality, race, economic status, it's not good news. If it doesn't challenge you, no, not her, not the person sitting next to you, no, not them, you, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not the gospel. The Bible tells us through four writers that God so loved the world that God came to look us in the eyeballs. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we honor the birth, life, death, and resurrection by enacting the good news, by taking the love off of papyrus and standing in front of someone else with a cold cup of water. The Gospels, all four of them, are good news of a God who loves you deeply, loves us, loves the world. So be at peace. Amen.